Hey guys, I'm Jordan Fromer. I believe in hunting hard, hunting smart, and having a fun time while doing it. And shooting limits? Well, that's just the icing on the cake. I revel in the journey just as much as the successes it brings. From ducks to dogs to decoys and guns, we'll be talking tactics, strategies, and what it takes to get the job done. Load up and take aim. This is the Duck Gun Podcast. What's going on, folks? Thanks for joining me on another episode of the Duck Gun Podcast. I'm Jordan from Duck Gun Chronicles, and I got my co-host, per usual, Elliot from Freelance Ducking. Duck Hunting. How are you doing tonight, Elliot? I am doing good. Hanging in there. My off-season has officially started. Is uh is well, I was about to say summer Elliot in full swing, but that doesn't happen no, for a while. He's not. That's it's that. it's, it's February a, <laughs> Elliot is in full swing. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yeah. For some reason I was thinking of summer Elliot, but that's that's not uh off season Elliot. It's a, a little different. <laughs> so you've lived through summer Elliot multiple times. And I know we joke about it, but there is absolutely a personality difference between Summer Elliot and There's just a the biggest thing for me is there's like an ambition level change. <laughs> it goes way up. Doesn't yeah. It? Oh yeah. You want to take on all these projects and little things and little here. And I'm just used to like the normal coast. And all of a sudden it's like, you get on summer break. And you're like, let's do this and that and this. I'm like, man, I can barely keep up with my normal schedule. I, I don't get, I don't get three months off here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I get like almost 70 days in a row off. So I need projects and I get motivated where, after a work day, I'm exhausted. So it's like I get home and I just don't have a lot of motivation to do projects and to edit and work on videos. I'm just tired. I'm just tired. Yep. You know, I hear you. <laughs> I always got something going on. So I did go on the first simulated duck hunt of the year. Nice. On on Monday. So that was cool. It was didn't meet expectations, but <laughs> it was fun. It was a good time. Yeah, well, at least you didn't get skunked. Almost. Well, I don't know. I mean, I took the little Slayer, which he actually, the little Slayer is becoming a lot more active. He's almost an FDH member at this point. I mean, he's been on so many videos. He's like 14 now, and he's an awesome little hunter. But So he took three fake shots and said that he hit them all, but I saw his shot selection. <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs> Nice. I don't know if he actually would have. He would have killed one or two of the three that he shot at, probably. But none of them were easy cupcake shots. There was mallards everywhere. There was mallards everywhere. Just how do you know how old he was when he started hunting? I know we've gone over this subject a few times, but oh, I imagine six. I mean, his dad is. He probably killed his first turkey at six. His dad gets his kids out really, really early. Oh yeah, I remember that. I remember that. Yeah. I keep thinking more and more about like taking my, uh, I got nephews and nieces and they're all like, I think they're all 11 and under. And I got, there's, I got four sisters. And so there's quite a few like nephews and nieces coming up. And I just, I just keep getting in my mind thinking about it. I don't know when it'll happen or which, you know, probably the oldest boy is the, you know, the, the first thing you think of. Um, but I'm just always curious, like, what's the right age to, like, that they can shoot, like, a single shot 410 and it not just kill them. And I know we've been over this before, but, like, for me personally, when I first shot a shotgun, it, like, almost, it hurts so bad the next day um, that it almost, like, uh, deterred me from wanting to shoot one again. Obviously, I got over it, but um, 
So I just don't know what the right age is. Well, you're asking the wrong person because apparently I completely screwed up that whole formula because <laughs> my biological son, who's 18, basically has no desire to duck hunt. My stepson, who's 17, basically has no desire to duck hunt. So I must have gone about it all wrong. I try my I tried to get my boy out in it um, as much as possible from an early age. And I and I I tend to think it probably wasn't my fault. Um, he, it's just not something he's into, which honestly has been really really difficult for me. I, my relationship with my dad was hunting, fishing. Now I grew up at a time where there was no video games, and I mean, so I ex- actually experienced legit boredom in my life growing up. We you know because. You had like 13 channels. Cartoons were only on Saturday morning. So, I mean, it makes a big difference. It really does. But that's all, that's all my relationship with my dad all the way through has been hunting, fishing, hunting, fishing. And I just, I never thought for a second that my own son wouldn't want that same lifestyle with me. So I got him out in the field all the time as young. He seemed to be enjoying it and everything. And even when we go, he seems to enjoy it. But he just has, he just has no desire to do it. He told me. Basically, he was kind of like, yeah, maybe once a year. And that's why I'm just like, whatever, man. Okay. I'm, I'm not going <laughs> to beg for once a year. I'm not going to beg for it. It's been it's been difficult for me. I, I've got friends who um, have sons that are just avid into it. Two different friends, Jason and, and um, I'm blanking on. Yeah. It's weird how some people get the bug and some people don't, you know? Yeah, it's rough because I mean, like I said, that was my dad and my whole relationship was hunting and fishing, and so it's, it makes it harder to connect with your kids. You know, mm-hmm. he's he's a great kid, and I'm so blessed to who he is and the kind of integrity. And he's like I'm a straight A student, and he's you know going into computer science, and he's a great, great human being. It's just I'm not getting to connect with him like I expected. Um, just because of that. So anyway, my whole point was you're asking the wrong person. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I, will, I will tell you, though, when he shot his first gun, I got him a single shot 20 gauge. Just like, you know, you open the hammer and it breaks uh-huh. open and you put that shell in. And we that game, that gun is now nicknamed the mule. Because <laughs> those, <laughs> those single shots that break open, those things kick like a mule, man. And he went out, his first um, hunt where he actually shot the gun, he killed his first duck. Um, I remember he went outside and shot that thing. And that thing (laughs) rocked him to the point where his hat flipped off. (laughs) And I I thought he was going to be, like, all scared and and stuff. And he wasn't. He was, like, all into it and everything. So we quickly went to, though, a pump 410. (laughs) It was purchased. There's a whole other story behind that about my boys. And there was a lot of tears in this one. Um, but a different story where the mule kicked my boys so hard that there was crying involved. And so we, <laughs> that's when we went out and bought the 410 Mossberg 410 pump. Nice. Well, that's good to know. Cause I actually, that's the gun I started on too. It's the, you see, I got it right here, Elliot. That's exa- yeah. That's, that's it's the, it's the single shot 20 yep. gauge. I actually got this from my grandpa too. And, uh, same thing, but I, I was wearing like a big poofy jacket and they told me to hold it close to my shoulder, you know? Yeah. And then, like, the first one I shot, you know, it hurt so bad. I'm like, well, what do they know? I'm just going to, like, this this coat's going to give me some cushion, you know? <laughs> and I pulled the trigger, and uh, and we just kept shooting and shooting, like, practicing. And, like, the next day, and I think 
I think my parents might have a picture of it somewhere. Maybe not, but uh, like my shoulder was like just black and blue, mm-hmm. just all the way to like from my pec all the way over my shoulder everywhere to the point where like I think we were doing like a like a clay pigeon shoot somewhere. I had to like shoot left handed. <laughs> oh wow! So yeah, those single shots, man. They're your your arm and shoulder. Your shoulder is absorbing one hundred percent of that recoil. Yeah. Yep. On those guns. Funny thing about that gun. Actually, I need to. I need to destroy it because it's got this. I almost killed my dad's dog with it because <laughs> when you pop open a shell, when so you shoot a shell and then you break it open and the shell pops out. If you don't open it all the way up, the firing pin. Oh man! Retract all the way back. <laughs> That's scary. And so we were just testing this gun out, and we were practice. Um, we were practice doing retrieves with with our dogs. Um, in fact, at the exact spot at Pelican where you and Matt and um, Thomas hunted my spot. We were nice. in the exact spot. And so we were shooting and throwing retrieval dummies for our dogs and stuff. Well, I was having problems. I didn't know this problem existed in this gun. So I was having problems shutting it. I put a shell in and it wouldn't shut. It wouldn't shut. And I couldn't figure out why that it wouldn't shut. I didn't see that there was a little bit of the firing pin that was still sticking out of that hole and exposed. <laughs> mm. And so I just tried to cram it shut. Well, that firing pin was out. And so as I shut it, the gun fired. My dad's dog was probably 10 yards in front of me. And I'm telling you that full pattern landed like it, four yards. I don't know. Like so close to my dog. Oh my man. Dad's dog. And I'm like, okay, was I, was that not proper muzzle control? I mean, I was just literally trying to shut the shut the shotgun, and we. I t- so I mean, I it could have been so. I'm, it would have been so bad had I shot his dog doing that. So I we took it directly to a gunsmith, and he could not figure out the problem at all because when you open that breech, if you click it hard, then it retracts. But if you don't click it all the way hard, then it doesn't retract. And he so he never could replicate the problem because he was always all the way opening it. And I figured out later what the problem was and everything. So I've got it, but I'm going to destroy it. Hmm. Um, it's just because I don't want that tw- 10, 15 years down the road, you know, that rearing its head again. It, yeah. was, it was a bad situation. Mm. Sounds like it. It was scary. So do you remember how old they were when you were doing those kind of first shots? Um, Nevin was probably third or fourth grade. Third, uh, third, fourth, or fifth grade when he shot his first duck. I can't remember. It was before I started FDH. So what? A couple years. What? I don't have kids that that old yet, so I don't know. <laughs> eight, nine, eight, nine, ten. Okay. Range. Gotcha. When okay. Nevin shot his first one, um, my two stepsons, I started them a little bit later. Um, I think gun in hand to me, it depends on the kid too, because some kids are just better at shouldering a gun and better at just handling the weapon. You mean like a little stronger, probably a little stronger, right? A little stronger. Um, cause a little I've less had, timid. Right, right. Because I, I, in some of my videos, when I have had my kids out, um, early FDH years, I had people commenting, well, I could handle a gun, you know, when I, 12, of course, everyone's always a badass on YouTube comments. <laughs> I could handle a 10 gauge when I was three, you know. Yep. Like that. But I, I do think it's all about the kid and what they can handle. But I, I 12, 10, 11, 12, 13 ish range, I would think. Gotcha. 
Good to know. But I mean, I I got my my boy out in the field when he was like six. We'd go on easy teal hunts and stuff when he was like six, where I would just load up with the snacks and and uh, let him bring a BB gun. And um, of course, that's when the great lie happened. I don't know if you want me to tell about the great lie. That Let's hear it. My son. Okay, maybe this is why he doesn't hunt. So <laughs> he was like seven, and he had this BB gun, and I took him out hunting, and I guess I didn't fully explain to him that you can't kill a duck with a BB gun, right? Mm-hmm. So we get out there, and this these teal come through, and he shoots with his BB gun. I kill one um, with, with mine. I, th- I think that's what took place. Anyway... He was asking me, did I kill it? Did I kill it? Did I kill it? Well, I didn't want to lie to him and be like, yeah, that was yours. You shot that duck. So I, so I went into the explaining to him, well, this is a BB gun. You can't really you can't really kill a duck with a BB gun. Well, he was devastated, the fact that he couldn't kill anything with a BB gun. He was really, really upset. So he went into, like, instant, like, little kid, you know, shoulders slunched, head down, all pissed off mode. And I'm like, oh my gosh, he's going to have a terrible time. So what I told him was, I was like, well, I think you hit it in the face. He's like, I'm like, it's like you punched him in the face. So I went on this whole narrative of how this little <laughs> gun was like punching the duck in the face, right? <laughs> well, he really liked that idea. So he keeps telling this story to people about how he punched the duck in the face, how he punched the duck in the face. Well, I didn't want to go back and be like, well, actually, man, you know, you probably didn't even hit it at all. Right. <laughs> so he got so old and he kept telling this story <laughs> so much. I had to finally be like, man, listen, you didn't hit anything with that BB gun. And uh, when I told him, I don't remember how old he was when I told him, but he was really, really upset with me. It's like, like I had just pulled the rug out from under yeah. him. <laughs> <laughs> he was like I had lied to him for all, all this time. He was really, really. Maybe that's why he doesn't. Lie. <laughs> it's like if you told a kid when they're fourteen, "Yeah, Santa Claus doesn't exist." Sorry to break it to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so on the, real, real quick, do you do you promote Santa to your kids? Um, man, my kid's four, and without me even telling her, she figured out Santa Claus isn't real. So. Like we don't, like we don't put gifts under the tree and say from Santa Claus. Like I don't get yeah. that. You know what I mean? Like I want to take credit for that. <laughs> I bought this. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I had someone telling me this whole story about their kid and how the lengths. So their kid has some issues, and so it's like their kid's really scared about the fact of like a stranger coming into their house and delivering gifts. Right? Mm-hmm. It really scares the kid. The idea of the Easter Bunny scares the kid, and they're jumping through all these elaborate hoops to make the kid feel safe about this Santa coming into the house. And I'm like, have you ever thought just an idea of like <laughs> not telling your kid this lie? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, why do you have to force your eight year old kid to believe this? lie? Yeah. Like there's some cool Christmas movies, but like, I mean, my kid watches Winnie the Pooh and doesn't think that Winnie the Pooh's real. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, I've never gotten that. Oh, and if you're a Christian, it's like you start their whole like Christmas experience with this huge lie. You know. Then they find out that the lie is not true. And you're like, well, that wasn't true. But let me tell you about this guy that was resurrected that walks on water. <laughs> That's not how I want to segue into Jesus' birth. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, tangent. Yeah. But yeah, the big lie, the big lie story. He was really upset about that. It, yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I feel you on that one. <laughs> I was just trying to keep it upbeat. Yeah. 
All right, well, let's jump out. Let's get a quick word from our partners, and then we'll just jump right into the rest of the podcast. So first off, I'd like to give a big thanks to Onyx. Guys, Onyx has been a game changer for both Elliot and I. Um, in the palm of your hand, on your phone, you can go around and get the information of landowners. So you tap on it right on the map. It gives you their tax address. You can go to their house, knock on the door. As soon as you find a feed, as soon as you find a marsh that's private, you can go and talk to that landowner right away. And, well, you're either going to get a no or a yes, but at least you know. Um, and then public land, same thing. It gives you the boundaries. You know where you stand. You know you're legal. You know you're in a in in the right spot for hunting. So definitely check those guys out on X, on the web, or on mobile as well. Motion Ducks Decoy Spreader. It is so much better than your traditional jerk rig. I can't tell you how much time I spent complaining about traditional jerk rigs. Hated them. I've never complained about the motion duck system. It's so easy to set up, so easy to move. You don't have to clip and unclip those ducks on that cord every single time. It's just everything about it. From the life motion, the lifelike looking motion of the decoys, you can go four ducks, you can go seven. You can keep adding them together. I know the motion duck guys run something like ridiculous number, like 24 or something, all in one flock they can move. It's crazy. Duck Gun 2020, all caps, 10% off. You need to go there and check this out. At least look at the videos. If you've never seen the videos, go look at them. If you don't have one, put it on your off-season to-do list. Make sure and use that product code. All caps, DuckGun2020. Motion Ducks Decoy Spreader. Awesome. Also, guys, I'd like to give a big thanks out to Freelance Hunt Stats. I don't know if you guys have heard of them, but that is the app or website that me and Elliot have been Working on, uh, guys, we're going through the summer and we're making all types of improvements on it, um, all types of upgrades on it, and you're not going to want to miss that, as well as the Patreon that we have. Um, and you guys know that we we film a lot of videos during season and not all of them make the cut. Well, I got a whole handful of those that are going to be going up early access on the old Patreon site. Elliot's got some as well. And we're going to keep some early access content coming through for all the, the YouTube videos that you guys like to see and just coming out a little bit earlier. So check out those guys. The Patreon is patreon.patreon.com slash freelance duck hunting. And then the hunt stats um, on mobile. It's the little, the little orange icon with a duck on it and it's labeled hunt stats. It is not too early to get onto bandit.com and check out everything they've got. In fact, I am in dog training mode. I put out my first video on YouTube of training Georgie. Did you watch that video yet, Jordan? I did. So I put out my first video, but I need more bumpers. So Avery Sporting Dogs is what I'm going to go to. I need um, some orange bumpers and some white bumpers. So they've got all of your, all of your needs, whether it's decoys or clothing or dog stuff. Go on. Take a look. Get that off-season um want list started and it's fun to start daydreaming now banded.com nice hey did you know that dogs can't see the orange bumpers yeah man when i first started out i had no idea and so i just got all all orange bumpers because i thought they were cool mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. i had this big pile of useless orange bumpers when i'm trying to teach my dog the basics so <laughs> so just a heads yeah. up there, there's your pro tip for the day something that everybody should know so um, I had 13 bumpers at the end of last uh, training season. Now I can find four. 
I don't know where. I think Fumble Mitts has them somewhere. They're like gloves for you. Yeah, seriously. I got it. So I got to get some more. I got to, and I got to get some orange ones because she always sees those white. Yeah. Awesome. We got another one. Um, no, we don't, but I will mention that I'm at the Indiana deer, turkey and waterfowl show. Um, well, right now, as soon as you guys hear this, I'll be there. So if you guys want to stop over, I'll be in the waterfowl aisle with HTR innovation. So, um, definitely stop over. They got some waterfowl tables all through that section, some good call makers and, and all that kind of stuff. But if you guys are over there, make sure you stop by. Love, love meeting you guys. Don't be a, you know, don't be a shy. Come over, say hi. Like I said, I, I love meeting, love meeting uh, all the followers from Indiana and, and that that stuff. So uh, I think this is the fourth time I've been out there. It's always and it's always fun to meet a lot of you guys. So um, definitely stop on by. When does that start? Um, tomorrow morning. Tomorrow morning. Oh wow! Yep, that's cool. I know you always enjoy those. They sound really fun. Oh yeah. Alrighty. Well, let's go ahead and jump into the main topic of today's podcast. And we're going to be talking about our goals for the off season. Like Elliot said, we're both full force into off season. Now our hunting's done. Elliot might have a chance for some snow geese, but man, I'm pretty real. Like I don't, I don't count snow geese. hunting think it's like real waterfowl hunting. I'm probably going to make a lot of people mad, but, um, so much fun. It's fun. Sure. I'm sure it is, but like, we just don't have it here at all and by the time it gets to march i'm just like uh i i don't know we just don't have them we actually saw a flock today flying so i shouldn't say we don't have them but not enough where you're going to be able to hunt them so well this weather it's been so cold um everyone i've talked to in in kansas it sucked i know golden boy was like three days in the field for hours and hours and hours and he went to walk to his truck and his dad shot two and that's all in three days that they shot Mm. So yeah, that's. Still, I think most of us still south of us. That's the stories I hear, and I'm like, well, that doesn't sound like super fun. Sounds like yeah. a lot of sits, and then I mean, it's probably like killing a, a buck, like a big buck, because you want that big tornado of of snows, and so you get those hunts that are just epic. Um, it's probably like shooting a really big buck. You got to do a lot of sits, and finally, you get that big ad- adrenaline rush. And the workload is in, is crazy. I mean, you need as many decoys as possible. So even setting out a thousand decoys between four guys takes a long <clears> time. <throat> and so that's not ideal either, you know. Yeah. Yeah, not real duck hunting, that's for sure. But it is fun. <laughs> it is fun getting shot. Like the two I the two hunts I went on last year, which the videos are up um on my YouTube channel, where we were on this little pond. And, you know, we had like five guys and on like seven our decoys. So the setup didn't take long. And, you know, we shot seven to ten during the hunts. I really, really enjoyed those hunts. And Georgie had did some, I had some awesome retrieves. And I really enjoyed those hunts a lot. But just as far as just laying out in a field for hours and hours and hours, multiple times during, I'm not in for that. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, when we go, when we talk about goose hunting, man, my favorite way to hunt geese is still water. You know, I know you don't get those big, huge, a lot of time. It's a lot harder on the water to get those big, consistent field hunts. You know what I mean? Where you scout, you find the birds and you know, you're going to have a banger as long as you do everything right. And have, you know, if, if you're a good goose hunter, you're going to have a banger. But like, if you go out in the water, man, it feels like you always got a chance, you know? Yeah. 
Um, and we might not shoot them as in big of numbers. And, but for me, that's just my bread and butter. I kind of prefer it over the field hunt. So I don't know. Yeah, me too. And that's one reason I like those snow goose hunts last year is that Aiden has this little pond, um, that he traffic them on, traffics them on. And there's always a bunch of snow geese around there. So that's probably why I like those a lot more. Nice. So you, for the, the off season, what do you got, Elliot? You got, you got any goals or ambitions or. Yeah, I, I'm not happy with the blind we have on the big boat. Um, and we didn't have a chance to hunt it for mallards very much. We're going to do a simulated duck hunt with it and kind of, cause there's a bunch of mallards around right now. So we can get into some of the pools that are, that are really easy to get to that lots of people hunt during hunting season. Um, and just kind of see how the blind does. But the two times I took it out, it didn't perform. The blind just didn't perform. I could not get the birds in. And so I'm coming up, I'm brainstorming some ideas of how to better brush our blind, our boat blind. Um, and I'm not, that's like the biggest thing that's been on my mind. And, and what, and I'm curious is what you think about this. So, um, you know, sometimes a frames, like the ones we use on the flyways collective they're they're the the material on them at the bottom has little pouches so that when you put long um cattails or switchgrass or whatever yeah. down it rests in the pocket i would like to make some blinds like that uh, to where it has pockets at the bottom and then even if it's just like two or three panels of them so it breaks up that cuz the blind material i have on the boat isn't bad but I just feel like it's not natural looking enough. So I'd like to get a few of those panels, whether they're single panels or I don't know. And so that when somehow make it that they, those ride in the boat. And then when we stop and put up the boat blind, those just kind of attach to parts of one side of the boat blind. So if you could have like trees behind you and then natural grass, like on an a frame um, that is kind of just attaches onto those somehow, I don't know. I'm, I'm at the very beginning phase of just kind of brainstorming how to do that. I just felt like that that material isn't natural looking enough that we used last year. Yeah. Hunts I was on. So it's hard to know, man. Project I'm thinking. Cause you were, you were finishing birds, like kind of like more like 30 yards opposed to like the 10 kind of, is that how, how you felt about it? No, no, no. That now the, it was two days in a row and it was, it was once I went out with Dan and now I will say, well, let me go through the whole process of it. So Dan and I were backed up under a tree and there was plenty of mallards around and they just flat, they wouldn't land within 80 yards of us. Mm. They just wouldn't, no matter what we tried, they wouldn't. We finally shot like one bird. So I went back out there a couple days later, I'd gotten COVID and I'm like, I was by myself. I went back out and I first started up and I tried to put more like brush, like there was dead trees and limbs. So I tried to scatter that around and we actually have a, a, a top, a, a Jimmy rig top cover with raffia grass and stuff to, to hide the hole on top. So I know it wasn't that, um, but I just, they wouldn't land. I finally got one single to come in and land and they just wouldn't do it. And this was the same location I was in with Dan before. So I moved it, um, to where it was under a tree a little bit better and it was, again, it was the same thing. These birds just, they wanted to land out in the middle. I mean, they wouldn't come within, they wouldn't land within a hundred yards. So could they, so, with your blind, can they see like the boat? Is the boat covered? The, uh, well, 
Like, could they see the aluminum not, on the not bottom? One hundred percent covered. They can. They, well, it's it's covered all the way from top to bottom and front and back. Around the motor, there there's a little exposed around the motor, and then there's a little exposed on the point. But so fi- finally, when I was out there. They, I just ditched the boat, and within thirty minutes after ditching the boat, I killed two. Now they were still really really wary mallards on that day, so I, I still wasn't like that. I was just sucking them in, but I did get two to land with about 30 to 35 yards away. Um, and that was just me sitting under a tree by myself. So <clears throat> I think it was a combination of the boat, but I think no matter what, no matter what your hide was on those days, it was going to be hard to get them to do what you wanted to do. But those were my only two experiences. So they left a really bad taste because I've always, you know, I've always been yeah skeptical. You've been a little skeptical. Right? Yeah. I think so. I think on a boat blind, man, it's just like, well, one on yours, it's like, it's high profile. I mean, so it's tall no matter what. So yeah, it is, it is really tough. And I'm, you know, I'm in the same journey too, trying to figure out exactly what to do about like a big boat and big boat blind. Um, because I've, I've had the same kind of like, I've, I've thought about different types of netting materials, which I do like the one you have over all other ones I've Mm -hmm. seen. Um, but I've, I've had the same kind of thought. I wonder if it wouldn't be natural enough. Um, and then I went with those big pant, like those grass mats, um, that everybody likes, but then they just rot if you leave them out. And so it's like, well, I don't want to spend 150 plus dollars a year on, uh, on brushing my boat blind. You know what I mean? And then like the work you got to put into it. It's like, I, I, I don't know if I could find something like that, that's synthetic, and I saw somebody make a post about it, but then it just also didn't look that great. So um, I don't know. I'm still on the, the uh, search for it. Yeah, and I may just not do anything because I just – we're not going to use it that much because my part of the state, we just don't have that many places where boat blinds are usable really. So I'm not going to use it that much, and my sample size is so small. Yeah, if we go out on the simulated hunt and we're getting them right in, I just need more confidence to do it because mm-hmm. after those two hunts, we could have gone back in there, but it's just my confidence was so low in it that I couldn't bring myself to be like, yeah, let's go yeah. use the boat blind. Well, weary ducks, weary birds, even like on a really well brushed any type of blind, if they're wary, you can have times where they're just not doing it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that was ultimately the main thing. If those were fresh birds coming in there, maybe they wouldn't have finished as well, but I bet they would have finished like in that kill range. Yeah, I think probably so as well. So maybe I should just focus on finding a way to get the, those two parts that bother me on the front and back fully. See, the, the easiest thing for that, you just need a oh, – why, why can't I think of it? I'm losing the thing. The brown cloth. Yeah, just like the camo netting? No, 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 just like the brown – it's like cloth, almost like potato sack. Everybody's. Oh, I po- hate that crap. It's so heavy. It's not heavy. What are you talking about? If it gets wet, it is. Well, don't get it wet. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's duck hunting. Everything gets wet. Yeah, okay, but it's not that bad. You just throw in the boat. I mean, yeah. yeah. So I put that over my motor every time. <clears throat> and it looks, I mean, it really, it looks like it just like a stump or something. It's so natural. We've got our motor covered. It's that section in between the motor cover and the blind. It's yeah, well, just, I'm telling you, yeah. use that, man. It yeah, is. It is earth tone to a T, and I put that like on top of my motor. It sticks up really high, and because my boat's like 
super low profile, the duck torpedo, but I put that on the boat motor and like, I mean, I can sit in that boat if I'm in cattails and finish ducks, like in the decoys. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'll probably, cause I don't want to, it takes so much effort for me to do that whole idea about, you know, finding a, finding, first of all, finding a cover that has those little pouches at the bottom, grassing it. And we, we may not, I mean, we, we use that boat blind a lot for teal and we're going to use it a lot for teal, but as far as big duck season, I don't even know how much we're going to use it. And the other, the other thing would be, uh, to have on hand, which have you ever hunted with any type of frame and a snow cover? No, man. My eyes have been open to that this year. Um, I kind of got that from Devin. Um, but like hunting with a snow cover, it's unbelievable how well that works. Zero brush and a white piece of cloth on like a panel blind. And that's it. Like no top cover. It's not snowy out when it's snowy. And that's okay. But when it got snowy, like it got this, it got snowy, like, uh, you know, from like January on pretty much. So not as much for us, but for you guys, well, as a normal year, do you guys get snow or no? Mm, I mean, we don't get it. We're we're typically non snow cover. Oh, Okay. Well, we'll scratch that. I was going to say, if you guys get out in the snow, though, like it's unbelievable just having white. I can't, honestly, I can't believe how well it works. I would like that for the A. You need to start selling those for the A frame because that last two hunts that it, that I was on, I don't know if you saw those videos, they were all ice hunts. And, yeah. And, uh, oh, yeah, that'd be perfect. Crap out of the A frame, but man, I would love <laughs> to have those. Snow yeah. And, you, and it works to brush the crap out of it. That's how I've always done it. But like, just to know that you can just put a white cover on it, yeah, and like zero work, and they're super light because they don't have any brush in them, and they finish perfect. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think the best situation though is those snow covers on a layout blind. Because we, I did use that one time. I, I had a friend that had one, and I, I would. That's a great situation to have when you're talking ice shelves, because that's kind of what that's what we we're hunting on. Just because you know, there's no brush anywhere. Except you're on the ice, and so even a fully brushed A-frame on that situation is, I don't think, ideal. No, but I mean, I've done fully brushed in like completely white fields where it's like a foot of snow, and we had no issues. So I'd still, yeah. I'd still be fine doing it on a nice shelf. But well, we shot twelve on that last day with it like that. I just felt like it would have been better to be lower profile yeah. and white than sticking way up. I'll never use a layout again if I don't have to. <laughs> they are a pain. I just don't yeah. think I don't think the uh, the benefits outweigh the the um the cons. Depends on the situation. I definitely I feel like on like the Kansas River on ice holes, I I think you're going to shoot more more birds out of a layout than you are in a frame. But the question is, is it enough more birds to make it worth the hassle of it? And it's really really hard to film. Out of layout, but it's really hard. Out of layout blinds. My my thought is like maybe you can finish some closer, but by the time you sit up and shoot, they're going to be further away than like the the speed gain you get from just being set up and ready to shoot in an A frame. Mm, you there's a special timing to the layout blinds that once you get the timing down, it's really not that much of a difference. I f- I feel like for a shot caller, but usually the people who aren't the shot caller and layouts kind of get screwed. <laughs> well, but I mean, if you're standing up from a sitting up position in an a frame, I think that you can, That's, if you have the type of layout, not the flip back type lid, the flip back type lids are death on your shooting. Just absolute death. 
But the ones where there's just kind of doors where you're coming, all you have to do is a sit up. I don't think, I don't think that the timing is, I mean, it's still, it takes a while to get used to, and it's a little bit harder shooting, but as far as time frame wise, just doing a sit up versus standing up. I think you're talking about the same. Yeah. I, I mean, if you, I get, if you're proficient at it and you hunt out of them all the time, but like, if you're going to do it like one time a year, I don't think you'll make up yes. the benefit. Uh, oh, I agree because, well, number one, when you do that sit up, when you pull the trigger standing up, you're leaning over the gun. And when you pull the trigger out of a layout, your your whole so if you think of your torso compared to your legs, you're at less than a you're like an obtuse angle, which is greater than a right angle, right? Does that make sense? Yep. Um, so when you're standing up, you look at your feet versus your upper body. You're an acute angle, so your head's up in front of your feet. But when you do a sit up out of a layout, you just can't quite get that same angle. So you're you're um, bigger than 90 degrees. And I think that causes people a lot of problems with, with the shoot, with just hitting. Birds. It's just unnatural. I mean, you grew up your whole yeah. life, not <laughs> like you never practice shooting that way. Like if you go to like any shooting sports classes or anything like that, they're like, here are all the, all the pre- positions to shoot from prone bench yeah. standing. Like nobody does like uh laying backwards. <laughs> yeah. Al, you're totally right. I mean, I went into a six for 36 slump just when I went to lay out blinds <laughs> one year where I just couldn't kill anything. It's just, it is so much harder. It's, but then I got in my garage, I got in my layout boat and I practiced multiple times pointing at objects on the yeah. wall. And that really, really helped. Yeah. I mean, if you have good, easy shots and plenty of time and like when I went with Josh on that layout in the boat, I mean, I think I went, I missed one shot and it's because I tried to shoot a triple. And that was the only shot I missed all day. So yeah. um, on the right day, you can shoot good from it if you have plenty of time. But It's and, harder, though, no doubt. Yeah. And the only time I've the, – the last time – I shouldn't say the only time. The last time I lay out I hunted in a field, I shot a banded goose. So, I mean, I've, I've had some good <laughs> some good days in the layout, blind, or the layout blinds. But, yeah. Yeah. What were we talking about before we went on these, these rabbit trails? Oh, off-season – to-do list kind of stuff we were talking just that's where it's oh okay yeah we just kind of that's a lot of rabbit trails so that's for sure yeah. yeah yeah so one of mine elliot i'm gonna do uh, i plan to you guys have to i had to put an asterisk by everything i say because uh i come up with about 50 ideas and maybe like a handful of them make it into <laughs> reality but uh <laughs> And I've had this goal for a long time. And so this this year, and we talked about in the last podcast how many geese and ducks and stuff, but I finished the season off and I actually ended with more geese than ducks this year. Um, first time ever. And you know, I think it's some of hunting with some of the newer guys I've started hunting with. They do get on some good goose hunts that I went went on them with. Um, you know, kind of adding on to my existing goose spots too. So uh, but one thing about it, man, uh, a couple of those guys that I hunt with are like phenomenal goose collars compared to me where I can just do enough to get by. Like if geese are coming in, I can do enough to be like, Hey, we're over here. If you want to come join us, you can. And if they're like, nah, I don't really feel like it. Like I'm not going to change their mind, you know? Um, but man, I feel like just watching them, you know, the strategy that goes into it and actually being able to do like all ranges of the goose call, I mean, I think that made a difference. I think that they turned some flocks and brought them in that I wouldn't have got if 
if I was just hunting by myself, just doing the normal, the normal kind of super basics of goose calling. So that is one of my goals this off season is to do, um, do some goose calling improvements. And so I got an idea for like a little mini, I don't know if it's going to be one video or multiple, but like 30 days to better goose calling and then like go through and do like goose calling every day for like 10 minutes for 30 days and like film my progression and, you know, maybe get some input from some really good goose callers. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll hit up Kyle Jones. If he's got the time to <laughs> give me a little, yeah. give me a little, pretty uh, good. yeah, pretty good world, world champion, world, <laughs> multiple time world champion. So that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that, that's kind of, that'd be one of my, my off season goals is to improve the goose calling. Honestly, I could probably do better on my duck calling too. So, um, but the, my duck calling is a lot better. I think duck calling is just naturally easier. So, um, yeah, that's, that's one of my goals. Yeah. Well, my, I really don't have tons of goals. My, uh, now that you and I have just decided that I'm not even going to worry about that, that <laughs> there's that goal is gone, but training Georgie and trying to get her ready for HRC hunt test is really the only other off season goal that I have in my mind right now. And I'm feeling really deflated and frustrated about that right now. Cause I just, I feel like I just, she's not where I want her to be, but anyway, I would like to get her passed in seasoned in HRC. Um, so we, she and I started our official off season training. I put out a first video of it just to kind of show everyone. This is where she's at. This is what we're working on. Had really great, helpful feedback. Um, which was wonderful. So did uh, I going to work really hard on that? Did Lynn Jordan let you know how it was done? Lynn Jordan can beep. <laughs> That's kind of how I feel about him. <laughs> All right. <laughs> no, he didn't. He did not weigh in because he's been banned from comments on the channel. <laughs> you know what? The when they're banned on YouTube, though, they don't. They don't know that. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. He could be weighing in. He just doesn't like it. Doesn't it? Because uh, uh, YouTube, they don't call it like banning or whatever. They call it hide. Yeah. So that the person has no idea. He he's probably giving you a, a tongue lashing right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, but he he didn't weigh in. But I did get lots of really really good feedback. the The big issue that I'm having is, and I talked to um, a professional dog trainer. And um, that I know personally, and he was just like, "Well, that is in all caps a lot of dog you've got there." And and I think that's my biggest issue is that she's so fast and has so much desire that uh, she's this is the first dog that I've worked this hard on training. My first dog I didn't give any effort in training. My second one I just Izzy I got her to be steady, and she was real low energy. And this dog is like. Oh my gosh, she is full of it. And yeah, she's got so much that that's kind of I think what for my training skills, it's she's a lot of dog for me to handle. Yeah, um, but I've, I've got her in a great spot. She's come hundred almost one hundred percent steady, and she will take hand signals up to over a hundred yards um, and whistle sit, and she'll she'll do a blind up to that. But I I'm trying to take her from. Because she is an absolutely phenomenal hunting dog. There's no doubt. When she gets in the field, she just crushes it. She's fantastic. But I'm trying to 
the expectations of a hunt test dog versus a hunting dog are different. So I'm trying to do all of the things that they expect me to have her do to pass hunt tests. And, you know, like when I sent a video of her early on in her career to Chris Job, and he's like, yeah, she's doing everything. It's just all sloppy. You know, of course, that's one of the best trainers in North of America. So it's <laughs> going to look sloppy to him. But still, it's the same thing. It's like she's doing everything. It's just all so sloppy compared to seasoned trainers that are passing their dogs in these hunt tests. I'm just she's just sloppy. And and one of the reasons I believe is that she just has so much go and she's so fat. A lot of times she'll make a mistake on like a where I'm trying to whistle sitter and she's so fast. She'll make the mistake. And by the time I hit the whistle, it's like the mistake's almost over because and she's gone because <laughs> she's just so fast. Yeah. So, but I am feeling a little discouraged right now because I feel like I've worked so hard on some of these things that she's still making a mistake. on. I know it's me. It's me. It's my training ability. You just you just need to meet up with a like a local kind of dog training expert. I don't know. I know. Well, I, I'm involved in the H the KCHRC hunt test group. But when you go to those events, it's like your dog does a couple things. And I do have a name of a local pro around here that maybe I could just you know. Because I mean, I'm going through all Freddie King's stuff, but the thing about those videos is that they don't teach to, like, okay, here's the specific mistake. Yeah. What do I do? Yeah, it's hard you know, to. Their dogs always do it right. Yeah, it's hard to predict what your dog's going to do. Yeah. And so my main thing with Georgie is that she's just not, and I, I really think I've got an idea where to start to fix it, but in the blind, I want her to go up to 100, 200 yards straight without veering off. And she'll go about 50 yards and then she starts searching on her own. And, and during the whole like whistle set process, she in her mind it can't get out that she kind of really wants to look wherever the heck she wants to look. So if I'll, if I give her a direction, she'll normally kind of go that direction. But after about 10 yards and she's like just searching for the bird. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So but that's my that's my really my number one offseason goal. Get involved in the HRC hunt test. Get Georgie a couple season passes, which I honestly I think she could probably pass these. They only do like forty yard blinds. Uh, I think I think I can get it done, but, but we'll see. And I'm going to be posting those videos as we go. I'm not awesome. Save until August. I'm just going to keep chronicling my dog training stuff on YouTube throughout the there you go spring and summer. Nice. Yeah, my next big project is well, it's a it's a continuation of the duck bus. I got some improvements I want to do on that. I was actually supposed to meet someone tonight. Do you, do you ever buy anything off Facebook Marketplace? I've sold. I haven't bought. I feel like people on there are just so unreliable. <laughs> oh my gosh, yes. it's, it's a pain, man. So I, I've talked to this guy yesterday, and I wanted to. He was selling. Um, so. I can't remember if I told this story on, on the podcast or not. Did you know I hit a deer with the bus? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Okay, you so maybe I... I don't think you told it on the podcast. You told it on Marco Polo to the... Oh, uh, okay. You're right, yeah. Yeah, so anyways, I was on the way to a duck hunt, and I hit a deer in Michigan. And, like, you know, Michigan's like Wisconsin or Michigan or any of those um, those states that just have a ton of deer, it seems like, that always want to run out in front of you. Um at night. So I'm, I'm on the way to the duck hunting spot first thing in the morning and it just runs out there and I drill it with the corner of the bumper, but this bumper has like a steel bumper. So it really didn't do like, you can tell 
it's like a little bit, but not a lot. But I'm like, man, if that was a big deer and if it would have been like um, up further on it, I'm like, the thing about the duck bus is, yeah, I have insurance and they can pay me for the duck bus if it's like totaled or something. But like, I'd have to redo all that work. <laughs> it's like, screw that, man. So I want to get a, a brush guard um, and put it on the front of it just for that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then also, it's not four-wheel drive. I've already got it stuck. I need like a 10,000-pound winch or something, you know. So that I'm, I'm not worrying about on boat ramps. Like you know, it's it's already uh, um, sketchy enough on a boat ramp in the snow. Yeah, with four wheel drive, mm-hmm, not ideal. Yeah, and so I've taken the bus in the snow, <laughs> two wheel drive down boat ramps, and I'm just like praying that I can get out. And I, and, you know, so far, um, well, it hasn't been a hundred percent. It hasn't not been a hundred percent. So. Let's get that winch that was on the there. The first thing my dad said about your duck bus when I told him about it was boat ramps and ice. That was like his first comment. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it. it's done pretty good on boat ramps. It's just like I get to some of these like backwoods ones where it's like barely a boat ramp. Yeah. 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 Those, you know, they don't have they don't have uh I mean because it's a dually, you know, it's got big tires. Decent, you know, but yeah, it really needs if I have a, a winch on there, you're never gonna get stuck. I guess maybe out in Kansas because you guys don't have trees, but in Indiana we have trees everywhere. So hook onto a tree and you could winch that out, out of there. Yeah, you better get one of those. I'd say make that a priority number one. Yeah. So that was that was my uh, my thing. I was so I seen someone had a brush guard with a winch on it. It was like a good deal combined, just what I needed. I'm like, what are the chances? Because I was about to buy them new, and I checked on Facebook Marketplace, and the guy's like, um, I'm like, all right, you know what price will you take? And I'm like, all right, well, I'll give you this price if you can, if I can come pick it up and pay cash today or whatever, you know, trying to like seal the deal and all that. He's like, oh, he's like, yeah, I'll do that price. He's like, but uh, um, the soonest I can meet is midnight tonight. <laughs> it's like, Ooh. yeah, I'm not going to meet you at midnight. Sketchy. <laughs> so Get your wife for that transaction. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyways, I'm like, well, let's just like, can you just do tomorrow evening? And he said, yeah, I can do tomorrow evening. Um, I'll keep you first in line. So I'm like, okay, sounds good. I gotta, um, I I have to be out of town, and I'm not sure when I'm going to be back tomorrow, which is today now. Um, but I'll let you know on my way back about what time I can meet. He said, sounds good, man. And then I text him on the way back, hey, can you meet at five thirty? He hasn't even read it yet. What a freaking jerk. He probably sold it. He is a jerk. Yep. Did you know there's all this like etiquette around um, Facebook Marketplace? And I did not know this existed. My wife was selling something on Facebook Marketplace. And someone was like offered this money, this certain price, I think the asking price. Well, someone right after that, like up that person's bid like by 10, 15 bucks. And my wife's like, okay, I'll go more. I'm telling you, whatever community that she was on, like apparently if you do that, like if you don't take the first offer, you're like the worst person that lives on the planet. There's like this unforeseen. Uh, like she already committed to taking it or what? I don't think she had committed to taking it. I think that someone offered her asking price. And then right after that, someone offered more and she was like, Oh, I'll go for the person offering more. Yeah. And I mean, the kind of hate comments that she got from everyone <laughs> in this situation was like, wow, I guess that there's like some rules to this community, like unwritten rules about mm. it. I couldn't believe the kind of like it was like you'd think that she was 
<laughs> some kind of child molester or something. <laughs> Probably wrong choice of term words there, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Offended some people. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And I've been on the I've been on the other end of that where like I've like I've wanted to be like offer somebody more, you know. Like you, you click on an item. Is this still available? And they're like, Nah, I just sold it. I'm like, dang it, that's a really good price. And it's like, you know, I would have paid more, but like, you don't. You know what I mean? Because yeah. you don't want to be that guy just trying to steal it out from somebody else. Yeah, I don't know, man. I mean, would you worry about that at an auction? Um, no. But I would worry about it at a garage sale. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It depends on what the item is. <laughs> yeah, you're right. If you really, really, really wanted it, but you'd still feel a little bit like a jerk. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You'd be like, hey, yeah, um, I'll pay you more than five dollars for that signed Michael Jordan uh, <laughs> basketball or whatever it is. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, but yeah, that's my next project, the brush guard. Oh, and then. I got to do the paint job on it and just little touch-ups here, there um, to get her rolling on the duck bus. So, and then um, similar to you. So last year I actually filmed a video of me and I was going to do a lot of work to the new big aluminum boat that I got. And then fast forward like a week later and I, I found the duck torpedo and just fell in love. And all my work and time went into that, getting that running and, Still, you know, still not perfected, but, um, by the end of the year, I was using my aluminum boat, um, a little bit more just because like with goose hunting on the river, you got to take a lot of gear and we're taking more people. And so the duck torpedo just wasn't big enough to handle all that. We actually had one time where we took it and we were pretty overloaded. And after that, I'm like, all right, no, it's not, it's not a, not a safe thing to do. We were three people, um, and like a panel blind and chief. And it was like, okay. We're getting a little carried away here. So we switched to the aluminum boat, but I never did all those projects I said I was going to do. So um, just, you know, ran out of time and money and whatever. So I want to spiffy that thing up, get the the blind on that, get it all attached, ready to go, do some hydro turf on it, get the lights on it, and maybe a new paint job. So I don't know. I got more, more than enough off-season goals. So actually somebody made a... <laughs> made a post a comment on one of the the Facebook um, pictures I posted about already having duck depression. And the first comment was like, what are your uh, off season projects? So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then the last off one is fun. Say what that again. Off season's fun. It is. Have things to work on. Yeah. Yeah. I get, I get carried away with it though. I'll tell you that. You so do. You do. <laughs> but the videos, I love your off season videos. Like when you repaired the trailer, and you do time lapses of that kind of stuff. I really enjoy those videos. Thanks, man. Yeah, I, I tried to step it up last year with my game on off-season videos. I feel like it was mission accomplished. So yeah, for more, sure. more of the same. Um, I do have one. I'll tell you, Elliot, but I'm going to keep this one a top secret. So I have a top secret um, off-season series. And maybe I've already told you, Elliot, but I'm not going to say it on the podcast yet. Um, but I have a top secret series that I want to do. Um, and then the other one, we both talked about this. So we both want to knock on some doors. Maybe you don't, maybe you said it, but you really don't want to do it. So <laughs> I don't want to do it. I, hate knocking on doors. I feel like you're not going to, but I'm going to, I'm I, I knocked down a ton of doors 
during season this year and had the most success I've ever had. Um, so I'm going to keep at it. I mean, I, I got, I picked up, um, a couple goose fields. I picked up a lot of water spots. Um, I'm just going to keep, keep on, on doing that. Um, but one thing in particular I want to do, um, and this one's harder than just getting like, uh, a, a single permission, but like, you know, I did the snakes, the snake swamp series last year and I want to get the new snake swamp. I don't know, you know, the, it's not the new snake swamp, but like another location where I can start doing that same type of spot. The snake swamp just didn't really pan out to what I like all my hopes and dreams because just mallards don't use it. And the first year we hunted it and we had like green wing till in there like crazy. We shot more green wing till than we shot wood ducks and it wasn't a roost. So I know we're small sample size. We're into two years. I build an awesome blind in it. We're going to still hunt it. But right now it seems like it's going to be like, First two weeks, we shoot as many wood ducks as we can, and then it's done. You know, that's how it was this year, and it wasn't. It was a. It wasn't a. It was a roost. It wasn't a loaf. The previous year was a loaf. Yeah, yeah. We could go in there first thing in the morning, no ducks in there, and they would just pile in there, green wings and wood ducks, and the occasional mallard, and it was a ton of fun. But if it's not like that every year, um, maybe you shouldn't plant that food in there. Yeah, honestly, none of the food I planted took anyway. So, oh really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Well, maybe yeah. You, you Mission should. failed on that. You think it was because of the flood? I think it's because it has so much duckweed in there that uh, it doesn't let the sunlight through it. Hmm. So there's some natural stuff that grows uh, in there already. So there was there already was like arrowarum and duck potato, or one or the other. And there's uh there was uh smartweed. Just sporadic, not a lot, just a little bit here, there. Are you just guessing on that, or have you had someone actually tell you that that might be the reason? Oh no, yeah, I've talked to I talked to people that uh that sell it. So, oh, okay, yeah. I see. I'd be curious to what Matt would say about that. What his ideas would be? Yeah, yeah, and I've talked to Thomas about it a little bit too. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, it is I th- that's that's what they said with the duck having that much duckweed on top that no light gets through the duckweed. Because, like, middle of the summer, that thing's just completely covered. And the wood ducks and teal actually like to eat that anyway. So, See, I think gadwalls really like it as well. Yeah, well, yeah. I've, we've shot, out of the last six seasons, we've shot two gadwall and all the people I hunt with. So we don't yeah. we don't get very many gadwall, mm-hmm. unfortunately. So all that to say is, like, I'm on the search for, uh, you know, I'm going to keep that. I'm going to keep hunting that. Um I don't. I just don't want to keep putting work into a spot necessarily. <laughs> if I have nothing else, maybe I'll build another blind out there. But <clears throat> excuse me. But man, I'd love to get like a really, really similar thing that has like good wood ducks and good mallards, and do like some type of property management series on that. So that's my, you know, I'd love that just to just to have it. But also, I want to get it so I can film another series. Yeah, that would be that would be great. You definitely shouldn't give up on the snake swamp for sure. No, yeah, but you never can have too many spots, right? Nope, that's right. Keep them building. Yeah, spots are like the thing about spots, man. Is like as soon as you grab a new one, you lose one. So it's like, yep, you need to keep getting them so that you just have always have locations to go. Because like when you don't, man, there's years where it can really affect your whole year. 
And that's true with public too. I mean, it's like you find a good public place and it doesn't seem like it gets hunted that much. Wait three or four years. Mm-hmm. It'll all change. And, and the habitat will change. The amount of people that hunt it will change. So even if you have your public spots, it's important to have as many as possible. Yep. Definitely can agree with you on all that. Awesome. Well, I think we've uh, kind of gone through it. You got anything you want to add? I don't think so. I'm going to hopefully by the next time we talk. I don't think I have anything going on this weekend, actually. I won't do anything. I, I want to get in two more simulated duck hunts. I was really disappointed in that simulated hunt because I don't even think I can make a video out of it. I mean, there was tons of birds out there. We just could not get them close. The mallards close. So I don't even think I can. I was real disappointed that I don't think I can get a good video out of it. I mean, I'll get a video out of it, but I'd probably just put it on Patreon or something. It'll still be interesting, but... I mean, if you're going to have a simulated duck hunt and you don't hardly shoot any fake ducks, <laughs> it's kind of a letdown. <laughs> yeah. So. <clears throat> but, you know, yeah. that's that's truly simulated because sometimes that happens. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And there was, <coughs> we were in flooded corn and there was tons of mallards out there. We just couldn't get at them. But I got those coming up, a couple more of those. So Nice. Keep reporting on them. There we go. Alrighty, fellas, that's all we got for this week. Quick reminder again, I'm going to be at the Indiana Deer, Turkey, and Waterfowl Show. It's right there in Indy at the State Fairgrounds. Come on by. Love to see you. And check out the HTR stuff as well. So um, that's all we got for today. I'm Jordan from Duckin' Chronicles, Elliot from Freelance Duckin', and we'll see you guys on the next one.